from Dmitry Samarov. And this is uh, The Yard Man by Bonnie Jo Campbell from her 2009 uh, story collection, American Salvage. He was standing in mud, leaning on his round end shovel, when he saw the big orange snake folded on the rocks beside the driveway, its body as thick as his stepson's arm. Jerry dragged himself out of the waist-deep hole where he'd been digging around the dry well and moved along the side of the building, approached the rocks, heel-toe in his mud-cake work boots, trying to move silently in the overgrown grass. The snake was orange with red and gold, but close up, its skin reflected green and blue as well. Strangely, the blue of his wife's eyes, and the shiny coils of the snake suggested his wife's coppery hair. Jerry had seen garter snakes and blue racers and rat snakes here. He had saved the dozen papery skins he'd found and tacked them to the wall inside shed number five, which had recently developed a roof leak and would have to be cleaned and would have to be cleaned out and burned down. But this snake was like no animal he'd seen, as brilliant as the orange butterfly weed that had shot up like flames along the property line a few weeks ago. The snake had smooth the snake had a smooth head the size of a Yukon gold potato, and the look on the snake's face made it seem as if he was smiling in the sunshine. When Jerry was close enough, he reached slowly toward the nearest coil to touch it. The shriek caused the snake to uncoil and set out over the rocks, and it made Jerry stand up and knock his shovel into the side of the house, where it chipped a clapboard. His wife, Natalie, stood frozen on the concrete step a few yards away, jaw loose, eyes bulging a little. Her keys jangled as they hit the ground. The snake moved across the overgrown grass toward the flower garden old Holroyd's wife had planted. It was Holroyd who told Jerry the dry well was probably nothing more than a rusted 50-gallon drum of rocks buried outside the makeshift kitchen of the old construction office building where where Jerry lived. As usual, Holroyd was right. Maybe Holroyd had been the one to bury it there 20 years ago. Jerry, his wife screamed, do something. Jerry watched the snake's middle part disappear under the garden flocks, then the hollyhocks. The snake was at least as long as Jerry was tall. Kill it, she shouted. Jerry, please. His stepson and stepdaughter appeared in the window, looking scared although probably more by their mother screaming than by a snake they couldn't see. Jerry picked up his shovel. As his wife of a year and a half had grown more unhappy with him, he tried to do whatever she wanted. Had she told him to do the dishes, he would have wiped his hands on his jeans and gone inside to run soapy water, dry well or no dry well. He pursued the snake into the hollyhocks, raised the shovel high enough to slice its body clean through. He didn't know exactly what went on inside a snake's body, but he could imagine a man or a boy chopped in half, how the organs and intestines would fall out. Jerry hesitated, lost sight of the snake in some ground cover, and then saw orange and gold bunching up between flowering bushes. He lifted his shovel again, He could feel his eight-year-old stepson staring at his back. For the love of God, Jerry, his wife screamed, as though the whole ground around them were writhing with snakes. He couldn't blame her. What she felt was as natural as the snake's enjoyment of the sunshine on the rocks, as natural as the snake's slipping away from the sound of screaming. Jerry lifted his shovel and jammed the blade deep into the soil, 18 inches from the snake, which kept sliding away, 
unaware it had come near death. Jerry studied the line of Indian corn colors as the snake moved over a railroad tie at the far edge of the garden into tall, dense grass. Did you get it? she shouted. Her empty hand was grasping at the air. Listen, Natalie, honey. Jerry, please, at least step on it. He left his shovel standing upright and returned to her empty-handed. Watch her eyes as they changed from terrified to desperate and then to disappointed. Oh, honey, he said. It was too big to step on. Why can't you do anything for me? Maybe it's something rare, honey. It's not like any snake I've seen. He wanted to say more. But talking about the beauty of a snake didn't seem right with her being so scared of it. Oh, Jerry, his wife said. She turned away from him and spoke toward the hayfield next door. I'm sorry I can't love every living thing the way you do. I've never, I'm never going to love a snake or a bat, she laughed a little. To be honest... I can't even stand that old guy Holroyd you like so much. Her bra strap pressed into her flesh beneath her tight, thin t-shirt in a way that made Jerry wonder if it might be painful. But he liked watching her muscles flex and relax. He liked the way the snakes of hair in her ponytail curled away from one another as though they trying to break free. At another time, he might have defended Holroyd. Maybe we need to go on a vacation, you and me, Jerry said to his wife's shoulder. Her neck looked long and pretty with her hair pulled back. We can't afford a vacation. We couldn't afford one this spring, but we took the kids to Cedar Point. Jerry knew she was right, though. The school had cut Jerry from full-time custodial to part-time this year. The pay cut was devastating, but he worked there for 10 years since graduating from the place, and he hadn't yet been able to fathom getting another job. Do snakes live in those sheds? She asked, turning further away from him and nodding toward the first row of old wooden buildings a hundred yards to the north. Maybe in those piles of junk? I don't think so, Jerry said. I think snakes live in the ground. I've never lived in a place with snakes, Jerry, she said. The thought of a snake coming into the house scares the hell out of me. And that bat did get in our bedroom somehow. I know. I'm sorry. I'm going to patch the holes in the clapboards. I asked the old lady if she'd pay for new vinyl siding, and she hasn't said no yet. His wife went inside, let the screen door scrape shut behind her. That metal-on-metal sound was a reminder to Jerry that he needed to screw down the doorframe more securely. He'd installed it last year, but hadn't gotten around to finishing the job. The old lady who owned this place was often willing to pay for materials for home improvements so long as Jerry provided the labor. She seemed to have more faith in Jerry's abilities than he had. When Jerry had lived here alone, he hadn't seen any need to fuss about such improvements. Now he was discovering that every project took longer than expected, and he always wished he'd gotten started earlier. He returned to digging out the dry well. Four days later, while Jerry's wife was at Campbell Lake with the kids, Holroyd stopped by. As usual, he drove to the top of the property beyond the white pines to check for deer tracks. As hunting season approached, he did so with increasing frequency, and then returned and parked and dropped the tailgate of his Ford truck and sat on it. Jerry had gotten the water turned off to the bathroom upstairs, and for two hours, he had been staring at the pipes and fixtures, trying to decide how to proceed. 
He'd never done any serious plumbing, and he was nervous about tearing out the wall. When he saw Holroyd, he called it quits and came down and sat on the other side of the cooler Holroyd had dragged out onto the tailgate. Holroyd handed him a beer. The man's outstretched arm shook as though it had developed a palsy. How are you doing with them credit cards? Trying not to put anything new on them, Jerry said. Good boy. Now get them paid off. They'll drag you down, those credit cards. Jerry didn't want to think about credit cards now, seeing how he and his wife were about to go on a weekend vacation. Instead, he looked out over the scrubby field scattered with locusts and maples and dotted with the storage sheds rusted hulks of defunct cranes and piles of deteriorating I-beams and concrete blocks. Way up beyond the white pines, out of sight, was the open hilly land full of bristly mosses, ground birds, deer, and wild turkeys even. Jerry didn't bring up the issue of hunting when he talked with the nephew of the old lady who owned the place. He knew he, she gave him free rent for insurance purposes. Holroyd had told him if nobody was here to keep an eye on the place, they wouldn't be able to get liability insurance at all. Jerry said, I saw a snake the other day, six foot long at least, red and orange and gold. Never saw anything like it. Holroyd nodded, seemed to grasp for air before taking another draw on his cigarette. Jerry had quit smoking before getting married, although he'd had a brief relapse when his old dog, Blue, died a month after the wedding. Jerry said, maybe it was somebody's pet snake got loose. Holroyd exhaled. I didn't figure they'd be here anymore. What do you mean? You know Red Hammerhill. You know Red Hammermill. Well... When he moves out and I move in, he tells me about the, this kind of snake. He draws a picture, tells me keep an eye out for him. Of course, you can't believe half of what Red says. It was coiled up on the rocks there. Scared the hell out of my poor wife. Holroyd snorted. Jerry knew Holroyd didn't think much of Jerry's wife or anybody's wife, his own included. Holroyd had been Jerry's ma's boyfriend for a while, though, and he treated Jerry nicer than any of the other men his mother dated. Holroyd had been the yard man for 18 years until uh, he married his second wife. She lasted about six months in this place before moving out. Holroyd still seemed surprised at his own decision to follow her. That was five years ago. Now, when Jerry asked, how's the trailer park? Holroyd would say something like, oh, it's yapping dogs and too many kids and foul food cooking. Or he'd complain, everybody's garbage is all pressed up against you in that place. And you've got to hear everybody else's business. Jerry wouldn't say it, but Holroyd didn't look capable anymore of doing the yardman job, which was more than mowing and trimming and spraying the poison ivy. Sometimes Jerry had to load up trailers full of metal to sell as scrap or broken concrete to recycle at consumers. Last month, Jerry had delivered piles of insulation to the hazardous waste folks. And then there was the business of emptying and burning the old sheds one by one as they became unsafe. More than half of the buildings were gone now, and there were 20 or so concrete block foundations being reclaimed by the earth out there. Jerry was supposed to keep everything trimmed and clear around the sheds, but it was becoming more difficult, with plants and critters creeping in. Red said there were a dozen of them snakes at least. Don't know if he can believe what he says. I never saw one, but I didn't go looking. 
said the men who worked here sometimes found the snakes coiled up on their crane and dozer engines in the mornings. On their engines? Jerry asked. For warmth. The next day, when Jerry got home from working at the school, he found that Holroyd had stuck a dog-eared Michigan field guide in, to reptiles and amphibians inside his storm door. On the first page was written in cramped cursive, R. Hammermill. Also stuck in the door was an envelope containing a check with a reference line, June, yard man, for his ten hours of labor last month. Jerry was sorry to have missed Holroyd, but not the old lady's nephew. The nephew usually wore a suit when he came out with Jerry's check, and the guy surveyed like an investor the thirty-some-odd acres fanning out behind the office building of the old mid-American construction company. Jerry figured that when the old lady died, the nephew would sell the whole place to developers for a bundle and they'd clear out the buildings and equipment in a few months and build a subdivision. Jerry doubted any big snake would survive. Instead of getting right to work on the bathroom or patching the holes in the clapboards outside the bedroom, he sat out on the tailgate of his own truck and enjoyed the hazy afternoon, took in a view of the sheds, all painted barn red, although on some the paint was peeling, and he thumbed through the pages uh, with the color pictures of snakes. There were faded notes handwritten on the page showing rat snakes, and somebody had circled the phrase, wide color variation. Jerry wasn't sure about the head. That smiling potato head had looked a little different, but not too different. Six foot was the longest a rat snake got. Jerry flipped through the pages, hoping for the drawing hammer mill had given Holroyd, but it wasn't there. He knew he ought to go inside and get going on that bathroom, or he ought to do some trimming outside, but he poked around the property instead. Walked slowly around the sheds, searched the ground for snakes, and saw a couple of nests in the grass where he'd let it grow too long. One nest had three speckled eggs in it. Jerry and his wife headed up north a week later to a resort they could not afford. Saw tall pines shaped like palm trees. Saw shorebirds at the edge of the pond outside of their hotel window. Jerry couldn't get enough of seeing the birds come in for a landing with their legs dangling. Jerry and his wife rode the water slide and he clamped his arms and legs tightly around her as they flew down. He missed the kids, especially his stepson, who would have loved the water slide. And he was glad when his wife said, we should have brought the kids. Both nights they drank too many sweet drinks got too drunk to make love, and on Sunday morning, when his wife had a headache, he was glad they had an excuse to go home early. Once they were on the road, his wife suggested they wait until the evening to pick up the kids from her parents' house. Jerry recalled how, when they were first together, when he first got his license, he'd driven her around in his old pickup truck with the bench seat. He'd felt easy pulling her over next to him, and his arm had gone around her long hair, which had felt cool against his skin on hot nights. They stopped at a tourist shop before getting on the highway for the last stretch, and he bought deer jerky, and she bought what turned out to be a gift for him, a chocolate and foil, and he wished he had bought her something special. He held out the plastic bag of jerky, forgetting she wouldn't touch venison, and she shook her head no. She smiled, though. It's nice to get away, she said. The air seems fresher up here. How's your headache, he asked. She looked pretty with the forested hills behind her, 
and the two big rigs dieseling nearby. Fortunately, the wind was blowing their exhaust in the other direction. He looked at her coppery hair and wanted to ask if she remembered anything particular about that snake, whether he had imagined the great length of the thing, the brilliance of its colors, but the snake was something that he and his wife would probably never talk about. The Tylenol helped, she said, and smiled again, as though finally she was warming up after a long cold spell. It's nice to get away, and it's nice to go home, Jerry said. He was glad to be returning to the yard house, to the queen-size bed in the room they had renovated before their wedding. His wife had painted the outside edges of the floor around the carpet remnant, and she had chosen all the colors and fabrics while he had patched the walls or replaced ceiling tiles. I'm sorry I get impatient with you, Jerry. It's just that living at a salvage yard is not where I expected to be. It's nice getting free rent, I know, but maybe we need to be thinking about the future. I know. Maybe if there was at least a fence up so we didn't have to look at the sheds or the piles of junk. I can ask the old lady about a fence. The previous night at the hotel, he'd had a dream he couldn't tell her about. A nightmare in which he cut the big snake in half. He'd thrust his shovel into the dirt and the snake had moved, slipped its curving body under the blade. He had watched it, its organs spill out, saw its innards glisten like egg yolks and mandarin orange segments in a pudding of dark blood. He'd sliced through the snake so the tail half was a severed dead thing, leaking guts, and the head end was writhing in agony, its golden eyes mad with pain. In his dream, the snake's body had become as thick as his son's middle, then as thick as his wife's waist. He had awakened in a sweat, despite the hotel's air conditioning. He had not wanted to disturb his wife, so he'd gone out and paced in the parking lot, where he heard nighthawks diving and whistling. He knew about nighthawks from Holroyd, knew that dusk to dawn they flew over the yard house and fields, hunting for bugs, screaming shrilly, although it wasn't anything you'd hear over the sound of the TV if you had it on. As they pulled into the driveway, he searched for the orange snake. His wife was humming absentmindedly. He liked it when she hummed, changing from one old pop tune to another, and he recalled the way they had clung to each other on the water slide. They carried only the cooler in her purse to the front door, leaving everything else in the minivan. She rested her hip against the doorframe and gazed at him languidly while he fumbled with the key. Before they'd left home, his wife had insisted they make the bed, and so, in a few minutes, when they went upstairs, it would feel, like, feel something like a motel bed. And his wife would go into the bed with her cool coppery hair and soft thighs and smooth arms and there would be no children there to disturb them. He would slide over her and inside her, and the sunlight would play on them through the curtains, dappling her body. On this hot afternoon, the red squirrels would sleep and not scratch inside the walls as his wife's hair coiled on the pillow. Let snakes sun themselves upon rocks. Let spiders suck juices from the bodies of flies they had captured in the night and drop the crumpled corpses to the floor like the shells of tiny pistachios. Let dilapidated wooden sheds settle while weed roots nudged into cracks in their foundations. Let all of nature continue its parade while he made love with his wife, the great love of his life, whom he'd lost in high school and miraculously found again. The house smelled salty or sweet when they entered. Different anyhow. Jerry wondered if he had left food out. Natalie, too, wrinkled her nose. 
When his wife went into the bathroom, Jerry pushed open the kitchen door and the scent became stronger. He looked into the enamel designer sink that his wife's parents had paid for. The old woman who owned the house offered to pay for only the cheapest replacement sink and found the basin three inches deep in dead bees. Thousands of dead bees. What on earth? Jerry knew his wife should not see the bees. She wouldn't understand. Not that Jerry understood. He began to scoop the yellow and black bodies into a paper bag with a cup. What the hell are you doing? She asked from the kitchen doorway, her voice alarmed. She was right to blame him, he thought. These were his bees somehow. His wasted little bodies. Without realizing it, he had probably killed the bees, just as he could easily have killed the orange snake in the garden by misjudging the winding and unwinding of its body. He picked up a dead bee and studied it in his palm, studied its yellow and black stripes and slightly furry body. Let's call an exterminator, she said. It's Sunday, and Natalie, honey, they're already dead. They both looked up and saw live bees buzzing around the light fixture where the ceiling was cracked. They look like wasps, she said. Pretty sure they're honeybees, he said. I don't think you're supposed to kill them. I can't live with bees in my house. She looked desperate, and he began to understand that this time he had to give in. He had not killed the snake for her, but he would have to sacrifice something. In order to save his marriage, he might have to poison the living bees. I wonder if they made honey in our house somewhere, Jerry said. Wouldn't that be something? He wanted to plunge his fingers into the sink and take up a handful of dead bees to show her, but instead he held out the single bee in his palm and stepped toward her. He wanted to share this mysterious tragedy with her, but she stepped away from him. With all those godforsaken sheds out there, why do bees have to come in here? I'm calling the exterminator. No, honey, give me one day. He realized the strangeness of calling his wife honey just then. His wife joined the kids at her parents' house. It was summer, after all, and nobody had to be up in the morning except Jerry to prepare the football field for August practice. His wife was working only a few hours a week this summer, assisting with the school's Friday afternoon parks program. During the school year, she worked half days as an administrative assistant in the school office. Jerry drank four beers that night but resisted smoking, although he got the urge bad. The following morning, he visited the high school biology teacher at home. The teacher confirmed the bees were honeybees, and they contacted a beekeeper. Things started to make sense after that. Jerry called his wife once a day, and after three days, he'd almost convinced her to come and meet the beekeeper who would collect the bees. Honey, These are something special, he said to her on the phone the fourth day, forgetting again not to call her honey. The beekeeper needs them. He didn't mention that he was going to have to pay $50 to get the beekeeper to come out. I won't live in a house with bees, she said again. But she was sounding more lighthearted, and she complained about the way her mother was fussing over what the kids ate. Right before hanging up, she said, I love you, Jerry, but I do want to have a nice house someday, one I can keep clean in a nice yard. I'll get back to work on the bathroom, Jerry said. He understood her tone to mean she would give him another chance. The day before the beekeeper came, Jerry went to lunch at the in-laws. Jerry liked having a father-in-law, although the man seemed to disapprove of Jerry's job, more so since the school had cut him to part-time. 
Natalie's first husband worked in computers, and luckily, the kids were still covered by his insurance. Her parents seemed happy to have their only daughter and their grandchildren near them, but Jerry could tell his wife was getting restless staying there. His wife had been indulged by her parents, had had an upbringing very different from his own. But it wasn't something anybody decided for themselves how they'd been raised. No more than a hive of bees or a snake decided how it would be raised. Jerry watched the kids playing in the lush grass of the fenced-in backyard, and the smallness of that green space made him uneasy. His in-laws owned another lot behind this one, which would have doubled the size of their place, but they didn't extend their fence line to include it. Jerry shook hands with the beekeeper, who wore a beard, a feed cap, and overalls, and invited him into the house. His words were largely a variety of grunts, and right away Jerry felt at ease with him, the way he'd always felt at ease with old men like Holroyd or Red Hammermill. Talking to Red always made him wish he'd had a grandfather. Can we cut a hole in your floor or wall? The beekeeper asked if we need to. Sure, Jerry said, although as he climbed the stairs, he felt less than sure. He was glad his wife hadn't shown up. He should have poisoned the bees, no doubt. What had he been thinking? That the bees could be lured out one by one, and their hive and queen too, without destroying anything? You got a beer? the beekeeper asked. For catching bees? For drinking. I don't drink at home, so I like to have a beer when I go out. Jerry went back downstairs and retrieved two from the refrigerator, although it was only 11 in the morning. I need to watch and see where they go, the beekeeper said. They sat on Jerry's unmade bed. Good thing his wife wasn't there. She'd have hated having this man with the greasy Carhartt overalls sitting on the edge of her sheets. The bees followed one another under the bedside stand. Without speaking, the two men moved to the bed and nightstand and sat there in silence, drinking their beers, watching until they were sure where the line of bees were entering through a gap under the baseboard. Right around here, the beekeeper said. He moved his hand over the wall. You can feel the heat in this spot. I just boarded up some holes in the siding a few days ago. A bat got in here, upset my wife. Jerry placed his hand on the wall. He was impressed by the warmth. You must have trapped the bees in the wall. Damn, I never considered that. Jerry volunteered his own reciprocating saw when the beekeeper's keyhole saw seemed slow. But the beekeeper said a power saw would drive the bees crazy. The beekeeper cut a rough rectangle from the quarter-inch painted plywood. When he pulled the swath from the wall, it was piled with wax and honey. All the bees that had been hovering inches away flew toward the honey and stuck themselves there. See how they cling, the beekeeper said. He gripped the hunk of wood. That means we have the queen. Your job is to take my little dust vac and suck up all of those fellows that haven't stuck themselves to the hive. Most of the bees followed the man making his way slowly down the stairs, honey dripping on the steps. But Jerry traveled around the bedroom and the whole house, gathering up every wayward bee. The vacuum had been modified to suck gently, and the work was satisfying. Jerry retrieved hundreds of bees from the bedroom, dozens from the kitchen, and a few from the bathroom. You want another beer? Jerry asked. I'd better not, he said. I'd better get these bees home. Say, what you got in those sheds? All sorts of construction salvage, Jerry said. Old building materials, mostly. 
When I was a boy, this was a going concern. Mid-American company, wasn't it? Jerry nodded and felt inexplicably proud. As the man was getting into the old truck with, with the utility cap on it, Jerry asked, Hey, have you ever heard of a big orange snake in these parts? Orange and red and gold. As long as a man is tall. Jerry found that he didn't want to keep to let the beekeeper go. He wondered about Holroyd, hoped Holroyd would stop by sometime soon so he could tell him about the bees. He wondered if maybe something had happened to Holroyd, for he had seen the man he hadn't seen the man in a couple of weeks. Would Holroyd's wife know to call and tell Jerry if something did happen? He'd known Holroyd since he was a kid, since Holroyd used to take his ma to the pub and sometimes sleep over. It would have sounded odd to say it out loud, but Holroyd was the closest thing he had to a father. The beekeeper said, No, nothing like that. I've got your hognose snake over by my place, and I once seen a king snake, but nothing like what you're describing. They used to be around this place, Jerry said, a long time ago. They meant something to people here. A few days after the beekeeper's visit, to Jerry's surprise, the nephew came by with the report that the old woman would pay for new siding and windows. Jerry visited his in-laws again with a page of samples and invited his wife to choose the siding, and he hid his disappointment when she picked an off-white color called Desert Rose. He'd been hoping for dark green. Even that snake, with its orange and red and gold, somehow fit in with the natural colors, the way a beautiful woman like his wife could still look like a member of her otherwise ordinary family but the pinkish hue seemed off to Jerry. He and his wife had been living apart for more than two weeks, but their separation didn't feel permanent to Jerry. His wife spoke warmly to him each day when he called, and with each day he assured her that he was working hard. Putting up the siding gave him respite from the upstairs bathroom, which he hadn't started on yet. The minivan pulled into the driveway while Jerry was installing siding on the west end of the building, and the kids tore out and ran into the house. A few minutes later, while his wife was standing below the ladder talking to him, he spied a big orange snake. It lay curved like a long, easy tongue of flame around a railroad tie at the far edge of Holroyd's wife's garden and Jerry wanted more than anything to climb down and make his way to the creature. He wanted to climb, he wanted to glimpse the belly to see if it was a checkerboard black and white or mottled like Indian corn, or if it was blotchy like the top of the snake. But it, he didn't dare look again in that direction for fear, fear that his wife's gaze would follow his. His wife threw back little coils of coppery hair, curlier and shorter than the last time he'd seen her, and said she was sick of living with her parents, said how nice it was out here with the view over the hayfield, asked Jerry if he'd seen deer out there, he had, asked if he would consider planting evergreens, sure he would. Her parents had a hedge of yew bushes and a hedge sure would look nice over there, she said. It would help block the view of those sheds. Jerry stole a glance at the garden, but saw only a line of color disappearing. Then he stared at his wife's suntan throat, her shoulders, her blue eyes and small ears. Studied her as he wanted to study the snake. Back in high school, they used to go to Campbell Lake and lie in the sand on the sand. And when she closed her eyes to soak in the sunlight, Jerry had stared at her body, her belly, her breasts, her neck, and that glistening hair streaked by the sun. Summer was not his season, but he'd loved it when she swam, when she threw herself into the water and flipped over on her back and waved at him, 
With her gold and copper hair, she looked like a mermaid with a Michigan forest rising behind her. Are you okay, she asked. I'm fine, why do you ask? I don't know, she said. You seem worried and you're staring at me in that creepy way. I guess I'm just tired. I worked at the school this morning, he said, and the sun's been pretty hot out here. Did you cut your hair? I got a trim and some layers. It's too hot for long hair. It's above your shoulders. You don't like it? No, I do. If his wife would go to the store right now, or if she'd even go inside the, ha the house, he could search the weeds for the snake. Instead, she produced a lawn chair and a thermos from the van, parked herself nearby and sipped a cool drink. Today was the last day of Friday kids camp, she said. Thank God that's over. Those kids have way too much energy. Six parents sent the kids in with cupcakes or cookies this morning. Everybody was bouncing off the walls. I mean bouncing off the trees since we were out in the park. He felt guilty for wishing her away. He said, I'm so glad you and the kids are here. Do you want a drink? She said, you don't look so good. I'm fine. He could feel the snake moving further away, perhaps in response to his wife's voice. You're probably dehydrated. Here, take a drink. His wife brought him her glass, held it up. She continued holding it toward him until he descended the ladder, accepted the glass, and took a long draw. He was thirsty. Lemonade with artificial sweetener. Not the kind of thing he'd go out of his way to drink, but not so bad. He'd drunk worse. He could use a beer, but probably wouldn't be a good idea seeing how he was working on a ladder. She poured herself more from a thermos returned to her chair, and put on sunglasses. He climbed back up and looked in the direction of the snake, but didn't see anything. The sun moved west as he worked, and finally, when he couldn't lift his arms one more time, he put away his tools for the night. The kids seemed happy to have their own rooms again, uh, after their time cramped with the grandparents. They didn't fight once all evening, and after they'd gone to bed, he and his wife made love for the first time in more than a month. Jerry had pushed the nightstand against the wall to hide the damage done by the beekeeper, but he couldn't sleep for feeling aware of that hole. During the night, he felt certain his wife, too, must be aware of it. Anything could move into that empty space and lurk there. A bat or a squirrel or bugs or some awful part of himself, maybe. The following day, while his wife was at the beach with the kids, he took some time off from siding the house and used his jigsaw to cut a piece of sheathing that would more or less fit the hole. It took him almost two hours to get it right, and he had to add pieces of two-by-four to the studs to have something to nail into. He lamented that he hadn't asked the beekeeper about getting the original piece of wood back. Unfortunately, he didn't have quarter-inch plywood, but used instead three-eighths inch OSB, so it stuck out a little. After he nailed it in place, he regretted not painting the piece before installing it. Now he couldn't finish it uh, without Natalie smelling the paint. Over the course of two weeks, he insulated and sided the west and south sides of the building and replaced the windows and trimmed them out. One morning, his wife got up early and made him scrambled eggs for breakfast. He'd heard rumors of more job cuts at the school, but he didn't ask if she would still have her half-time office job. Didn't want to admit how much they would need the money. I'm happy to be back with you, Jerry, she said, as she placed the eggs and toast already spread with grape jelly before him. It feels more like a home with the siding on. The green looks better than I thought it would. Maybe things will just keep getting better from here on.
should be able to finish it before school starts. He had lied, told Natalie the old woman had insisted on the green siding. Jerry's stepson appeared in the doorway, rubbing his eyes. I'm so glad you came home, honey, Jerry said to his wife. He kissed her mouth and called her stepson over for a hug. He heard his stepdaughter walking around her bedroom upstairs. He closed his eyes so as not to stare at his wife's face the way she hated. Things went fairly well throughout the first few months of the new school year, even though his wife had indeed lost her job to budget cuts, and they had to take out a loan from her parents to pay the credit card bills. Jerry's stepson's science project on spiders received an honorable mention for the top award, although he was only in third grade. A few people had done moths, but nobody had captured spiders and displayed their legs so well. The boy had been frustrated at first when he realized the spider legs sometimes came loose in the process. Jerry didn't think he had overreached his parental authority by helping the boy reattach the legs with tweezers and rubber cement or in helping catch and asphyxiate the spiders. Jerry, they like the spiders, his stepson whispered during the judge's announcements. They were in the gymnasium of his elementary school. I know mom hates them, but the judges like them. Your mom doesn't like a lot of things, son, Jerry whispered. He meant to add something nice. In truth, his wife had done a remarkable job of tolerating the spider project which they worked on in shed number 18, the shed with 50 or so old toilets stored in it. The white porcelain seemed to attract spiders, or at least it made them more visible. What's that supposed to mean, she asked Jerry. The judges were still announcing the special mention prizes, that I don't like a lot of things. We were talking about the spiders. Spiders are fine outside, as long as I don't have to see them or come near them or have them touch me. Spiders catch lots of flies, the boy said. They help us. I guess that's what your stepfather would say. He loves all the creatures. Her response seemed prickly, but her smile afterward was genuinely friendly. And when Jerry kissed her on the side of the head, she laughed a little. Next time Jerry saw Holroyd, the sycamore and sugar maple leaves shone orange and red and gold. Holroyd had trouble lifting himself onto the tailgate, and he was breathing heavily when he lit his first cigarette. Going to bag a couple of deer this year? Holroyd asked. Sure. There was no shortage of deer on the property, but Jerry wondered if Holroyd could really aim a gun the way he was shaking. You know Hammermill died, right? Holroyd said. No. Died three weeks ago. My wife saw the notice in the paper, but I didn't make it to the funeral. I planned to, but I didn't make it. Ah, damn. Jerry had enjoyed Red's stories, whether or not they were true. Jerry thought Holroyd's eyes were watering under that hank of white hair. I guess that means you and me are the only yard men left, Holroyd said the only people who know this old place. My wife can't figure out why I got to come out here all the time. She's happy with her lawn the size of a postage stamp in her trailer full of knickknacks and air freshener crap. I can't hardly breathe in that place. There's the old man's nephew, Jerry felt the lump in his throat. He comes around. Oh, that fool in a suit doesn't know shit, Holroyd shrugged. You know, I always wanted to try and get maple sap out of them sugar maples. Maybe next year we ought to do that, you and me. Collect the sap, boil up some maple syrup in shed number five. There's still that old wood stove in there? Jerry nodded. He didn't have the heart to tell Holroyd that the old woman sent instructions to sell the wood stove for scrap in preparation for burning the structure. 
Instead, Jerry asked, Why does the woman keep this place? She could sell it for a lot of money. Do you know how women are, holding on to strange ideas and strange trinkets? Holroyd had to rest his beer on the tailgate when he spoke. Can't think of 17 buildings and 30 acres as a trinket, can you? Jerry hoped his wife wouldn't get back right away. If she pulled in the driveway, Holroyd would make quick work of leaving. Hammermill had a theory, Holroyd said. He said the old lady worked in her grandpa's company as a girl, fell in love with some job superintendent who was killed in an accident. Hammermill used to claim the woman came to visit him sometimes. Visit him, if you know what I mean. Was she married, the old lady? Far as I know, she never got married. Far as I know, Hammermill made the whole thing up. When I didn't see you for a month there, I got worried, Jerry said. Yeah, that they dragged me up to that goddamn hospital, lousy sons of bitches. I wonder if I ought to get your phone number. Don't bother. The phones are ringing off the hook all through that trailer park. I don't want to add to the noise. I suppose when the old lady dies or when these sheds are all burned down and all the piles of materials are gone, they won't need me, Jerry said. Only 17 sheds left? 16 plus the house. I don't know if I could do what you did, move into a trailer park. We all do what we've got to do. We looked at a prefab in Indiana, Jerry said. We walked through it on, on the sales lot. Whose idea was that? Holroyd asked and laughed. Jerry understood why his wife wanted to live in a prefab. The yard house wasn't carpeted, and the walls here were old wood, paneling full of nail holes instead of smooth drywall. Good enough for him, of course. In fact, he preferred a beat-up house to a nice one where he had to worry about wiping his shoes before he came inside or taking them off like at his in-laws. Jerry said, The prefabs have low energy costs, and they're easy to keep clean. Holroyd blew out air in a snort. Sitting there on the tailgate, Jerry looked around, wished he could see something like white-tailed deer grazing, a mother and a spotted fawn. Life was always out there, he knew, but he'd have to sit still and listen a while before he'd hear critters munching or rustling or hissing, before he'd see flies being devoured by spiders or see one of them big orange snakes. He wondered if he listened hard enough, would he hear the dinosaur-like bones of old construction equipment rustling, wooden sheds rotting, sheets of insulation dissolving, piles of old toilets sinking into the ground. Jerry said, You think maybe them orange snakes live up top? Maybe they eat bird's eggs up there. We can watch for them when we're hunting. There's lots of deer tracks this year. Maybe you'll get a deer, too. You get your license yet? Jerry nodded, cracked open a second beer from Holroyd's cooler. Usually, Holroyd shot two, one for each of them. The sun was setting in a pretty way. If only they could all remain together forever like this, he being the yard man with his wife and the kids, and Holroyd stopping by to visit and snakes and bees and deer and ground birds and nighthawks could all stay here with them. And those snakes would stay out of his wife's line of sight, and she would relax and start to love this place the way he did. And maybe that would have happened. That was one way it could have gone. It was a snowy night, a week before Christmas, when his wife called him at the school. He was working the evening shift, cleaning lockers over break to get ready for the new semester. This was going to be the best money he made all year, getting him rare overtime. Jerry, there's a white thing like a cat in here, 
His wife sounded distressed. What is it, honey? I mean, there's something white in here. Snow? It has snow on it? No, like a cat, only not a cat. Short-legged. A dog? Thank God it wasn't a white snake woken up from a winter sleep. A white snake would have been a terrifying thing for his wife to see. Not that there was any kind of white snake in the reptile book. He hoped it wasn't a dog either. He'd still been trying to convince his wife to agree to a new dog, and a strange dog showing up in the house would nix that idea. His wife continued, breathless. A wild thing, Jerry. Something from outside. It was in the kitchen. I slammed the door and left. Now I hear tearing something up. A possum? Nothing like a possum. Please, Jerry, come home now. I'll be right there, honey. He left the mop bucket in the hallway, ran out. He almost forgot to lock the school's front door, but he returned and locked it, then jumped into the old truck and zoomed home. When he got there, the front door was open. A winter wind blew through the house, as though his wife were long gone, but she was not yet gone. She was outside loading up the minivan. I don't want to wake up the kids, she said when she came down the stairs, but I can't stay here. Where is it? What? The white creature, the cat. I told you it wasn't a cat. A cat wouldn't have scared me. The body was long, short legs. But at first you said it was like a cat. Forget about it being a cat. Where is it? Outside now. I locked it in the kitchen and went around outside and opened the kitchen door and it ran out. What could it be? I don't know, but I don't want to live with it. I don't want to live here. But white? What's white? You're not listening to me. I'm listening. Of course you were scared. White and not a cat. Not snow on its fur. It wasn't snow, and its neck was long. What else is white, Jerry said. It was something that wasn't supposed to be in here, Jerry. It wasn't supposed to be in a house. A house should keep something like that out. I thought with the new siding. Jerry wondered, could something have come up under the siding? He wasn't a professional after all. Maybe he had made a terrible mistake in installing the siding. If a white cat could get in, then there were places where the snake could enter. He hadn't secured the place at all. He stepped into the kitchen and saw the, saw the window above the sink was open two inches and the new fiberglass screen was slashed roughly. Something, sometimes when his wife burned food, she opened the window. There was a trellis right outside. He'd installed it for roses after he'd finished with the dry well. He'd considered the flimsiness of the screens on the new windows when he'd bought them, but the window guy had assured him that nobody used metal screen anymore, that everybody used vinyl. Must have been a cat, Jerry said. It wasn't a possum. What else could it be? It wasn't a cat, his wife said, tears now pouring down her face. Smell. Does it smell like a cat? Stop saying it was a cat. Or maybe something albino, like an albino rabbit, he said. Did it have red eyes? It wasn't a damn rabbit. God, she was beautiful. Her skin as smooth as the skin of the girl who had broken up with him in her parents' driveway ten years ago, and then jumped out of his truck and married another man. Her hair just as shiny, although she had cut it even shorter in the last few weeks, so there was no longer anything serpentine about it. Only then did Jerry realize the smell, the full smell of the thing that had been in the kitchen, rich and musky, a smell that would wake a person up once and for all. His, wife's pack, his wife packed a bag that night and left. She came back for the kids and another load of her things the next day. That musk scent faded, but Jerry could smell it in the kitchen for weeks. 
Even after that, that, he didn't forget it. And finally, he longed for the smell. The Mammal Guide was a reference book where he would have checked it out of the library. Instead, he went to the nature center and bought it at the gift shop. Although he should have been saving his money or paying on the credit cards. Once he got it home, he couldn't stop turning the pages, studying the moles and voles, the different types of mice and weasels. The animal in question was an ermine. No doubt, the pure white winter phase of a short-tailed weasel. He liked that phrase, winter phase, which suggested a creature could be different season to season. When Holroyd finally showed up again, it was an afternoon at the end of January. He looked pale and he didn't talk about missing hunting season. So Jerry didn't bring it up. That morning, Jerry had burned shed number five to the ground. And now he was tending the embers. Holroyd backed his truck up through the snow so they could sit on the tailgate and stare into the fire and feel a little heat from it. Jerry told Holroyd about the ermine coming into the house. That's something, they're, that's something. They're coming back. I never saw one. Hammer Mill trapped them all, trapped everything around this place. Used to sell pelts. Ladies used to love that pure white ermine fur. I wish I'd have seen it, Jerry thought. Maybe if he'd been there. He could have helped his wife see it in, in a new way, a way she could have liked. Seeing that ermine the right way could have been a nice surprise, like seeing a unicorn when you were hoping to see a deer. You aren't smoking, Jerry said. Nah, gave it up. His fingers twitched. <clears throat> Sons of bitches tell me I'll be dead if I don't. I've been craving a cigarette myself lately, Jerry said, when I'm sitting alone. Don't get yourself started on that smoking again, son, Holroyd said. Promise me. I won't, Jerry's eyes stung for an instant at that word, son. You ever seen your snake again, Holroyd asked. No, not since I, I was putting up the siding. Hey, you're shaking. You want to come inside? Nah. I guess a snake like that would be hibernating now, Jerry said. Sure it wasn't your imagination playing tricks? I wouldn't have something beautiful like that in my imagination. Did I tell you that up close the skin was like a prism? Showed even more colors, greens and blues. Shame about burning down the shed. Holroyd said. Now there's only 15 of them left. He scrapped out the wood stove, I guess. Holroyd tossed his beer can onto the embers, and they watched it blacken against the orange coals. My wife's getting her prefab, Jerry said. Her parents are putting it on the lot behind their house. Nice for the kids to be near their grandparents. You thinking of moving in with her? She hasn't asked me, Jerry said. Well, I'm not anyone to tell a person what to do and what not to do, Holroyd said. He splashed beer on his mustache and put the can down without managing to take a drink. Jerry couldn't think of anything bad about his wife. He didn't know why he'd started loving her in high school, why he kept on loving her, loved every move she made every expression that showed up on her face. He just did. With her soft skin and long hair, she was a beautiful mystery, and even her fear of all the other beautiful creatures was something special about her. She had her way of living, and those kids of hers were such nice kids, and he missed them every day. But she was somebody who didn't belong here, plain and simple. It was more relaxing now, not having to worry about fixing everything up. But it didn't stop him from missing her. Jerry said, 
My wife said I was always staring at her and it made her nervous. I thought it was a normal thing to look at your wife all the time. The two men sat on the tailgate most of that Saturday afternoon. Jerry watched the old man's shaking hands, his watering eyes, and once a tear that ran down the side of his nose into his overgrown mustache. Anything seemed possible now that Jerry's wife was gone. Any kind of sadness. So the old lady who owns this place is still alive, Holroyd said, shaking his head in agreement with himself. My wife watches the obits, keep, keeps an eye out for her. I keep getting a check. I keep getting a paycheck. It's not much, but it's something, now that it's just me here. Jerry threw his empty can onto the fire, although it had a 10 cent deposit, and he watched it darken. She must be 80, 90 years old. I hope she goes on a while. Jerry wasn't thinking about the old lady, though. He was thinking about Holroyd, who was at least a decade younger than Red Hammer Mill, but looked almost as old, or at least today he did. You cut up your credit cards like you said you were was going to? Holroyd asked. Yup, and I got one of them payment plans like you said. Those cards will drag a man down. I wish I could see the snake one more time, Jerry said just to know it's okay. Maybe you ought to get yourself that dog you were talking about now that your wife isn't stopping you. It's not good to spend too much time alone. I've been thinking, though, if I get a dog, I probably won't see the snake again, not with the barking and chasing. Maybe I'll wait until I see that snake one more time in the spring. A lab or a retriever would make you a nice companion. Better than any snake. I just wonder what what if he's the last of his kind. Holroyd handed another beer, handed Jerry another beer, and when he popped it open, Holroyd said, Hell, here's to the last of its kind. Jerry supposed the last of the big orange snakes would be hiding the way any snake hid in winter, curling under the ground in his old skin. In spring, he'd poke his head up, stick out his tongue, sniff, and know he was where he belonged. Then he could get to the business of shedding and eating and seeking warmth.